0: Welcome, my name is Sarah Hudson and today's echocardiography chat is about the aorta. I'm going to start by talking about how to measure the aorta, which it turns out is more controversial than it sounds, then about what to do with those raw measurements before moving on to put it all into a clinical context and finally highlight some key points to include in the ECHO report. As usual, there are links to all the guidelines and papers referenced in this podcast in the show notes. So let's get started. Measuring the aorta is done in a parasternal long axis view. However, to get an optimised view, you may need to hunt for a modified parasternal view. To do this, you can eventually slide the transducer towards the sinotubular junction. This will hopefully give you a nice view of the aortic root, which just to recap is defined as the region between the bases of the aortic valve leaflets inferiorly and the sinotubular junction superiorly. Beyond the suprasino junction is the ascending aorta, and to best view this, you may need to reposition the probe again. Options for optimising the view for the ascending aorta include moving the probe up a rib space or two, getting the patient to hold their breath in expiration, or sometimes going to a right parasternal view in the second or third right intercostal space, and this view can be particularly helpful if the aorta is dilated. Let's now return to the classical modified parasternal long axis view where you should usually see the aortic annulus, the sinus of Valsalva, the sinotubular junction and then the ascending aorta. And once you've got this beautiful aorta focused image, how do you actually measure it? Leading edge to leading edge, inner edge to inner edge, systole, diastole? Let's cautiously enter this minefield. First for the good news. There is agreement that the aortic annulus is measured at maximal opening of the valve near mid-systole, inner edge to inner edge. So that's aortic annulus, maximal opening near mid-systole, inner edge to inner edge. Then for the bad news, there is a lack of consensus about measurement of the rest of the aorta. From a European viewpoint, the EACVI 2017 expert consensus document recommends the aorta be measured leading edge to leading edge and end diastole. To justify this conclusion, it references the 2015 joint ASE and EACVI recommendations, and it's therefore no surprise that the 2018 ASE guidelines and performing a transthoracic echocardiogram likewise supports measuring leading edge to leading edge at end diastole. For a spot of confusion, the 2013 EACVI Assessment of Native Valvular Regurgitation Recommendations paper includes a picture to illustrate measuring the aortic root, which shows all the measurements being performed in systole, but I think this can be disregarded as an outdated remnant. For an additional dash of confusion, though ASE guidelines are clear about measuring leading edge to leading edge, the American guidelines on the diagnosis and management of thoracic aortic disease recommend internal diameter measurements. And then there is the British Society of Echocardiography's 2020 Normal Reference Intervals paper. This advises inner edge-to-inner edge methodology at N-diastole. It states it came to this conclusion as leading edge-to-leading edge was traditionally used owing to poor image resolution, but with improved resolution, inner edge-to-inner edge measurements are more readily attainable and more reproducible. It does, however, offer an olive branch to leading edge to leading edge supporters by saying that for echo labs that currently employ leading edge to leading edge technique, it's reasonable to continue doing so. So overall, there is probable agreement on measuring at end diastole, but a lack of consensus on leading to leading or inner to inner edge measurement. But does it really matter if you use leading to leading or inner to inner? Does it make a difference? Well, some sources suggest inner-to-inner gives measurements two to four millimetres smaller than leading-to-leading, which clearly has the potential to impact upon clinical decision-making. The previously mentioned BSE paper gives a lesser difference, saying aortic dimensions are said to be on average 1.2 millimetres smaller when measured inner-to-inner compared to to leading-to-leading, which they point out is unlikely to have a significant impact on clinical decision-making, going on to highlight how this is especially true since patients close to cut-off for surgery tend to be sent for a CT or MRI to clarify anyway. Which, for those of you with a curious mind, naturally leads on to the question... If CT and MRI are being used to determine if a patient goes for surgery, which echo measurement method gives sizes closest to those measured on CT or MRI? Well, multiple studies have suggested that transthoracic echocardiography underestimates thoracic aortic dimensions compared to CT or MRI. So since we've already discussed how leading edge to leading edge gives bigger results than inner edge to inner edge, can be assumed that the leading edge to leading edge me- measures should give the cl- size closest to the CT or MRI size. So let's call out the measuring rabbit hole with a conclusion that overall measurement should be done end diastole, there are arguments for both leading edge to leading edge and inner edge to inner edge, so it's just important to make sure that the report clearly states which was done and to try and ensure consistency between scans. But before we move on completely from measuring, let's just briefly touch on M-mode. Historically, some used M-mode rather than 2D to obtain measurements of the aorta. This is now discouraged as translational motion may cause underestimation of the aortic diameter by around 2mm compared to 2D measurements. So, you now have your 2D end-diastolic aortic dimension measurements, but what do you do with them? Well, since aortic size is known to be influenced by factors including birth gender, age and body size, various echo societies suggest attempts to relate the number you obtained to the patient's physical characteristics. But how do you do this? The joint 2015 EACVI and ASE recommendations on cardiac chamber quantification say you normalise the aortic measurements you have made for body surface area. This joint paper defines dilation as a diameter above the upper limit of the 95% confidence interval of the distribution in a large reference population. It then goes on to share the classic Roman and Al nomograms that were first published in 1989 with the bodice surface area along the x-axis and sinus of Valsalva diameter up the y-axis. You've probably used them many times but have you ever thought about the data behind such a widely used chart? If you look, it turns out that they are based on 135 normal adults and 52 normal children. They also only account for age variation and not sex, although the joint recommendation paper does additionally include a table that gives ranges that account for sex, but then not age. So, the EACVI and ASE index to body surface area, whilst in contrast the recent 2020 BSE guidelines tell you to index to height, putting forward the argument that research has demonstrated that aortic root dimensions are better correlated to height than body surface area. The guideline paper gives a table of ranges for males and females, and the BSE app gives additional ranges for males and females in different age groups. So having put all this effort into indexing, how does this link in with working out when these patients should have surgery? Well, the 2014 ESC aortic disease guidelines are still focused on absolute rather than index values, with surgery being indicated at various points from 40 millimetres to 55 millimetres, depending on a variety of factors, with greater than or equal to 55 millimetres being the standard size for intervention if no additional risk factors are present. It does mention that lower thresholds for intervention may be considered according to body surface area in patients of a small stature, but it leaves it as this vague statement in one of its key messages boxes. In the main text, it drops in that it defines aortic dilation as an aorta diameter greater than 40 millimetres or of greater than 27.5 millimetres per metre squared for people of short stature, but it doesn't give an index value at which point it recommends surgery to be considered. The 2010 American guidelines for the management of thoracic disease are also predominantly based on absolute values, with surgery again indicated between 40mm and 55mm, again depending on a variety of factors. The American guidelines also mention using a ratio of greater than 10 when dividing the maximal ascending aortic area in centimetres squared or the maximal aortic root area in centimetres squared by the patient's height in metres, to help determine when to time elective aortic replacement in patients who have either Marfan syndrome, another genetic disease, or bicuspid aortic valves. So having established how to measure the aorta, how to index this measurement, and how this correlates, or not, with current aortic guidelines, what else should be considered? Well, rate of change in aortic size is also important. American guidelines have a level C evidence recommendation that patients with a growth rate of more than 0.5 centimetres per year should be considered for operation. The European guidelines are more circumspect, highlighting the need to balance prognostic implications against the accuracy of the measurements, so no absolute growth rate is given to mandate surgery as a single criteria. A growth rate of greater than 3mm per year is however given as a risk factor which should prompt patients with certain other criteria such as Marfan's or bicuspid valve to have surgery at a lower overall diameter than usual. Regardless, from a physician's viewpoint it was obviously important to know the rate of change even if it won't affect surgery timing as it could affect interval between echoes or prompt the need to clarify size with a different imaging modality. So how often should you do echoes to follow up a dilated thoracic aorta? Unfortunately, there is no one-size-fits-all answer to this question, with factors that should be considered to come up with an interval tailored to a particular patient, including not just the absolute size, but also risk factors, such as whether the valve is bicuspid, any genetic syndromes, and information about previous rates of change in the size. So at this point, it's probably useful to put thoracic aortic dilation and its surveillance into a context. So if you take um, the average aorta, an average normal aorta expands at a rate of less than one millimetre per decade. Whilst in ascending thoracic aortic aneurysms, these tend to grow at a rate of around one millimetre per year, so around 10 millimetres per decade. Although some familial aneurysms, for example Louis Dietz, can grow at greater than 10 millimetres per year. And ultimately, what we're trying to avoid is dissection, the risk of which increases rapidly when the ascending aortic diameter is greater than 60 millimetres, which is why surgery tends to be indicated at 55 millimetres, giving that slight margin of safety. So we've talked about measuring, indexing and clinical context. So let's finally bring this all together uh, to talk about what an echo report that includes mention of a dilated ascending aorta should include. So firstly, it should have the aortic sizes measured in end diastole with the method of measurement, inner edge to inner edge or leading edge to leading edge, clearly stated. Secondly, it should include an indication of the rate of change from previous, if that's known. And thirdly, it should make sure that whether the aortic valve is bicuspid or trileaflet is highlighted. Many thanks for listening. Do get in touch via Twitter, at Sarah Hudson UK and join me again soon.